Good morning, church. How are you today? Make sure I get set up here this morning. Thanks, Eric. And it was good when we were, when I was listening to that song go through the walls of my house over the past week and knowing what we were talking about today. Um, we're in a good spot. This is one of my favorite pages in my Bible. Um, it's there, you can tell, because um, I've, I've used my ribbon to get there so much my page is torn so if you are dangerous with your bible you're not alone i'm right there i'm right there with you but as we walk through today's passage um, we're really going to be unpacking um, a reality uh, that that maybe we don't even know what we're looking for so when i was young i our family we were born in south alabama just on the florida literally literally on the florida georgia alabama line there's one of those it's kind of a not a line i guess but we moved to Florida, Panama City, Florida, and we're there for about four and a half, five years. And just like, it's a crazy thing. It's hard to think of in Texas. Do you know every state does like state history in education? Is that weird to you? Like we did Florida history. As a Texan, you're like, does any other state have a history? Like it's a little, it's a little different. It's just, it's like, oh, we forgot y'all were out there. So... <laughs> So I remember taking Florida history in elementary school and just learning about people that I, I as I'm thinking about them, my, my first thought was, oh, do people in Texas, do we study this and, and know what happened? But do y'all know the name Ponce de Leon? Okay, good. So that happened outside of Florida. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. So, <laughs> but, but he was, um, he was a, you know, a, a gentleman passenger on a, one of Christopher Columbus's trip, but he led the first European expedition to the Floridas. Um, he became the first governor of Puerto Rico back in the day and lived from the late 1470s uh, until the early um, 1500s and, uh, and had a lot of responsibility and went all over the place. But the thing I most remembered about him is not historical, right? It's that Ponce de Leon searched for what? Do you know? The Fountain of Youth. That's exactly right. He searched for the Fountain of Youth. And if you do your research, that's kind of a shady fairy tale as it goes. But, but it worked really well because I think there's something about newness that sparks our imagination a little bit, right? And I, I think it's supposed to be that way. When you go from being single and you're about to be married, your imagination goes to what's marriage going to be like. You start thinking about what could be and how it could be. When you go from not having children to having children, you go from being awake to being asleep for four years. You know what I'm saying? Like you just start imagining what is it going to be like. All these things start to happen. And, and I think even when discovering this new land for like the 14th trip probably, but this European expedition, there was just like this newness. It had not been, um, it had not been touched, so to speak, heavily by what was going on in Europe and those places. So everything was green or fresh or new and all kinds of things were going on. And so as the story goes, um, there was a, a tale about a fountain and that whoever drank from this fountain would regain their youth that that was that was the goal of this fountain and and i don't know about you i, I was laughing this week our kids all went to prom and um and corbin was there so pastor o came out as well we were talking and and we were just talking about how there comes a point in time when your kids become faster than you are you stop racing them dads right but your brain still thinks i can beat you and so it was wonderful when, when that happened. And so we were joking around. Corbin said, Dad, it would be close. And you just saw Omar go, hmm. It's like, we're not racing today, you know. But, 
but I thought I know the same thing I, like my brain says I, I was fast 30 years ago I'm probably still fast now but you know what my body says no <laughs> right and so if I could just restore that back right but but I don't really want to regain all of my youth I don't want to lose the wisdom over the amen like I don't I don't want to feel like a high schooler again if my brain has to revert back that far and, and so as we think about our walk with Christ I want you to know the world I mean through fairy tales and fables has been straining and desiring and wanting because of the life that we live that is on this slope to, to death that there's this desire to want to regain something that has been lost and what we're reading today in Romans chapter 5 we'll read in verse 6 down to verse 18 today is really unpacking what why Christ offers more than that dream in fact I will I want you to know that what we would call a dream was actually something God was unwilling to give us because it would be a nightmare and that's really what this picture of Romans chapter 5 pulls into that God has put in our heart a longing and a straining to be rescued from this deterioration that our body takes over time that our mind takes over time like like that death's curse like there's a straining in there that there must be something different there must be something more and the world has been after trying to fake this out the whole time with no win in sight but we know that Christ Jesus did so much more so if you have your Bible uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 6 through verse 8 it's thundering outside but we think we have all the leaks fixed if not God may be telling you to get baptized, all right? We'll talk about that later. We'll go through it. All right, in the Bible, Romans chapter 5, verse 6 uh, through verse 8. We'll read that, and then we'll just camp there for just a minute. The Bible says this. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die but God showed his love for us in this that while we were still sinners Christ died for us and and this is this is that unforgettable new beginning I, this these verses right here really show us who Christ is and what he's done and why it should be unforgettable why the the hope and the light that he's put us on why it should be unforgettable the Bible says that while we, and he's talking, remember Romans, he's talking again to the Christian church, although this truth will be true for everyone who would believe. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, here's this picture the word weak is meant to give you and I a picture of sickness of something that we are were, were just unable to escape okay and then I want you to skip over at the right time while we were ungodly see the word ungodly we had this conversation at the beach house yesterday it really means profane or it means obscene and nasty so here's the picture that, that Paul draws for us. While you and me 
were sick and weak in our sin and embracing it as who we were. That was the right time for God to demonstrate his love. Now, some of you are great patients, but I'm telling you, it, it's hard. If, if you've ever had a season where you've gone through being weak or your back has been in pain or you've been struggling with something, it's hard to be pleasant. If you're a family of someone like that, say amen. Amen, right? <laughs> don't tell on, don't tell on. But it is. We just, we just talk about that. And we, we see that when it's there, it just keeps coming at us. And what Scripture is showing us is that when you and I were weak, unable to do anything about our circumstances, unable to see any hope, unable to break free from where we were, separated from God, steeped in sin, and therefore we had nasty, become nasty and obscene with our relationship with God. How dare you? How could you? Why would you? How is this? I don't even talk to him anymore. He's not real. Well, if you're not going to fix my life, I'm going to chase my dream. To be ungodly means to, to say, God, I'm going to leave you out of it, and I'm going to take the reins all by myself. And so you don't have to be nasty on the outside. You can be nasty on the inside. We joke about that. Families from Alabama. When you can, like, be smiling at someone and walk out the door and realize you just got fired, but you feel good about yourself, you know? Like, nasty can be dressed up really well. And what Scripture says is that every single man, woman, boy, and child has been sick in sin with no excuse because we've embraced it. And while we were that kind of obscenity to God, that was the right time for Christ to die for us. Now here's the beauty of that moment. It means you and I couldn't, shouldn't, and, and, and won't be able to clean ourselves up before we can come to the Lord and know Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. It, it means that there's nothing you can do, that there's no battle you can win, there's nothing you can defeat, that, that you absolutely have no stock in making it possible. But at the right time, he did. And verse 8 tells us what it was a demonstration of. It was a demonstration of his love. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He showed us his love. It wasn't, it wasn't an act that he was forced into. The cross wasn't a hole that Jesus was pigeoned into. It wasn't something that he regretted doing. It was a demonstration of love. It's different. Because a lot of times we get caught up in our sin and we start feeling like it was forced. Taylor Swift came in town. I guess she's still in town this weekend, right? A few, like 100,000 people plus are going to see her. Well, I remember my sister needing to go to a Backstreet Boys conference or a concert like 30 years ago, right? Y'all remember that? Anyone want to go to that? So my mom said, David, I want you to drive her down there. And I'm like, Mom, no. You know, I, I, I don't want anyone to see me. If they see me at the front, they'll think I went in and I don't want to go in. And my mom said, oh, that's so kind. I don't remember what she said, but she's like, you're going. 
it was not a demonstration of love right I think sometimes we feel like God shares our brokenness and what he does he was just forced into making a way he was just forced into doing it right then and, and I think part of that is is because we don't like nasty and obscene people we don't, we don't like people that are being ugly to us and ugly to God. And the further we get away from them, the better. And so if they would just clean up, then God could demonstrate his love for them. And then so could we. But praise God, he is not small like us. While we were nasty and obscene, while we were profaning God, that was the right time for him to show his love. And in that moment, Christ died for us. It, it, it doesn't mean that in that moment, God saved everybody and wiped away their sin. He became our strength. He didn't just share it with us and walk away. Paul would later write in Colossians 1.17 that, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. Not you are strong or you know Christ and so you have hope of glory. But it's Christ in you that has that. And so this big picture of the whole thing that we looked at is Christ is unforgettable because his love is incomparable. There, there's nothing to compare it to. While you and I and the rest of the world was weak in sin, that was when God chose to do it. And what he chose to do? To send his son to live and to die a brutal death on the cross and be raised again. Church, we can't let that reality get far from us. Years ago, I read a statistic that said within two years of accepting Christ, most people who pro proclaim Christ have forgotten what they used to live like two years ago. Church, we need to remember that it cost the Lord, His Son, to demonstrate His love for us and not forget what it took because I think when we forget, we become complacent. And when we become complacent, we cheapen the, the love of God. We start giving ourselves excuses left and right about why, even though I've been redeemed, I can still embrace the things that Christ died to save me from. Jesus answered someone speaking to him one day, and he said, Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, but then you don't obey me? because I've cheapened your love, God. That's the only answer. But his love was, was not cheap, and so it's unforgettable. And that's what Paul writes about. He starts his whole section off with, if you've been justified in the life to come, then know it cost the Lord a high price, and remember the filth that you embraced that he has rescued you from. And then he goes into verse 9, 10, and 11. Look in your Bible. This is what it says. Verse 9, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from him, the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. 
before Paul goes into this breakdown of what happened that between verse uh, 6 and verse 11, he gives us some hope. He says, listen, I want you to know that we have something to look forward to. If we have been justified by his blood, that's where we've been. If Jesus has made a way back, for, back to him for us, and we now have a right standing, go back to last week, we have a right standing in the grace of God, if that's where we are now by the blood of Jesus Christ, how much more do we have in store by a risen Savior who rules and reigns and has gone to prepare a place for us? You see, that's the hope that's coming. I mean, the blood of Jesus justifies us, but Jesus didn't die, and that's the end of the story. He rules and he reigns. He is in control. And what Paul says is, right here, right now, that's what we have to look forward to. How much more shall we be saved from the wrath of come, to come? Shall we be saved by his life? Verse 11, more than that, rejoicing in God through Jesus Christ, whom we now have received. Here's the beauty of this. Jesus didn't die and rise again just to give you the fountain of youth so that you could turn back to middle school. He didn't, he didn't just make it to where you could have what you lost. He gave us more. I mean, this is what I love. If we think back to when God made the world, and we think about the trees and the lands, and you can picture it, when Adam sinned, he was kicked out of the garden. Do you remember why? so that he wouldn't eat from the tree of life and persist in his fallen state for eternity. That, that, is what, that is what he was kicked out of the garden for. Paul says, I'm not just, God, Jesus didn't die just so that you could live forever. Jesus didn't die just so that you could experience the garden forever. Jesus is at work and has so much more being planned for you in this moment he's daring you to dream and to imagine he's daring you to picture what jesus christ is doing and how he is at work he wants this momentum to come and he wants you to know you are not returning back we're going to be a part of something more and if there's nothing else that you hear today i want you to hear what paul says outside of Jesus Christ, you and I were steeped in our sin, and it took a high price of the blood of Jesus Christ to cover that debt. And in his blood, you can be justified and stand in grace with God, but don't let that be the end of your story. You should live your life saying Jesus Christ has so much more in store. So much more in store. And then all of a sudden, we start to understand why you go to work, why you parent your children, why you need quiet time alone. All of your purpose for everything that you do is under the banner of how much more Jesus has in store for you. You see, when we're walking our Christian life, and through the cross, you and I are, are redeemed. If that's your marker with Christ and you're always looking back then you're missing the picture of the story he has for the rest of your life 
because Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He didn't come so that you just might have life, period, but to give you much more than you ever dreamed or imagined. And then he unpacks it and how it works in verse 12 through 18. So if you have your Bible, let's get into the meat of this. Verse 12, chapter 5 through verse 14. And he compares himself to Adam. If it's your first time in church, that's all right. Adam was the first human, a man created by God in the, in the garden. And he and his wife Eve, God created her second, right, were kicked out for sinning against God in an ungodly action. And so here we have this connection in verse 12 through 14. The Bible says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, and even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. I, I love this. We love giving Adam a bad look, right? If he would have just not eaten from the stinking tree, the world would be a better place. Well, newsflash, have you looked in the mirror lately? If Adam didn't do it, who else was going to do it? Like everyone in this room, right? And your children. See, Adam took that bite of the tree and he made his first ungodly act. And in that ungodly act, he went from life to death. And here's how that looks. When God made Adam and Eve, when he created you and me, he created us with a purpose. And that purpose was to have dominion, to reign, right? To, to rule over the earth, to be stewards of it as God's caretaker with the authority of God behind us. But when Adam took that first bite, sin did something. Do you know what happened? It took the rain. Adam yielded by his sin he yielded up his life his authority his ability to rule and reign he was supposed to control to to have dominion over all of these things but instead he lost his reign and he gave it over to sin and there was nothing he could do to get it back now this is not a raise your hand question but has there ever been a sin in your life that you have tried and tried and tried and tried to overcome, but you keep letting yourself and you keep letting God down because you can't get away from it? That's what the reign of sin feels like. So you have two options with it, maybe three, I guess. One option with it is to pretend it's okay. Maybe write a book about it. I'm okay, you're okay. Maybe, maybe it's just to make it socially acceptable. The other could be just to beat yourself down about it all the time. The third could be to say, God, if you are a loving God, then there must be a way of escape. And as you've searched, here's what you'll find out. You are not the answer. Because you and I have given over that reign. That's why Jesus tells the parable in Matthew chapter 12. He said there was a man who had, had a demon that lived in him, and the demon went out from him. And so when the demon was out, when life was good, when life was easier, he started to clean up his house. He started to clean up himself from all the things that were vices in his life. When the demon returned, it saw that there was room in the house. 
And so he went out and he got more of his friends and more dwelled within him. And the state of the man was worse now than it was at the beginning. Why? Because the man couldn't kick the demon out. He couldn't overcome the demon. He couldn't be the strong man to the demon. And so when the demon came back and wanted to do what he did, the vice was twice as strong. Sin is that way. When Adam and Eve yielded that over, this trespass through Adam caused this action to happen. He broke in his sin relationship with God and gave away his reign. And everyone who is a descendant of Adam, every man, woman, and child that has ever, ever lived, they have that sin nature as well. And you don't have to look for it because you know it's there. And this is how great this life to death action was. It surrendered it all. Church, this morning, I, I want you to hear that if you can't break free of sin on your own, you're not alone. no man or woman or child ever has we've pretended we have faked we've thought we've done all of these things but you and i surrendered our reign and god went with it he gave it to us but jesus did something better look in your bible at verse 13 we'll go down then excuse me verse 15 through 16 it says but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment of the one, excuse me, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. See, Adam caused all the problem one man for many for all but the bible says what jesus did in his act was completely different his action was not like life to death to life it was life to death because he was going to take the rain if you've ever thought about this if you're a baker in the room some of you are bakers christy is baking now i can't have she bakes all the time but um she's baking now without eggs eggs make things soft y'all know that ah, such a good thing any ingredient you add in works its way through the whole batch it changes the dynamic of everything paul would say in galatians like yeast just a little yeast it leavens everything what sin does, no matter how big, no matter how small, when it got in the yeast, it caused issues for everybody. But Christ's work was not like Adam's. And here's what the Bible says. One man caused a problem for many, but what Christ did is he took on the sin of all. He took it all on and he made it right with God. But here's the difference. His accomplishment didn't just kick things back into start. Because sin 
by force made us slaves. We willingly gave up our life and became a slave to sin. Christ isn't going to force us. So by Christ's work, he was sufficient to set everything right and to paint a new future. But he doesn't make us be obedient to that. He offers it. I think there's a piece about sin and subservient that mimics Jesus. When we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you become free to serve him. But it's not like our slavery to sin. It's a slavery to life. See, when you get married, do, do you know that you become in a positive way bondage to that person? That's why adultery is so difficult, right? That, that's why fights cut so deeply. They betray a, an oath because we know there's a binding in that. What scripture says to us is, in Christ, he doesn't, when he calls us out, he doesn't force you to come out. But if you willingly come in, don't be deceived. He has set you free not to just do what you want. He has set you free to be a slave to life. When I said I do at the altar of my wedding, I was set free from my singleness to be a slave in a beautiful marriage that I'd never want to end. You follow me? In Christ Jesus, when we accept this gift, his act makes it a way not for us to be right, but to be experiencing more of life than we could ever imagine. And it cost him dearly. First Peter writes this, uh, chapter 2. He bore himself, our sins in his body on that tree, so that we might die to sin, and live to righteousness and by his wounds we are healed Adam and sin life to death Jesus made death to life possible but what Paul says is there's even more verse 17 and 18 for if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man how much more Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, one trespass led to condemnation for all men, and so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all. Church, the offering in the picture of Romans chapter 5 is that Jesus Christ, while you and I were broken and in sin and embracing it, he died for us so that we could not just be set free, but so that we might live free with him forever. And in the beauty of the picture of his words, what he says is, you can't do this. We couldn't accomplish it. We, we could get ourselves into the pickle, but we can't get ourselves out of the pickle. Because sin invades everything. It, it's not an isolated part of your life that you can bury or take care of and move on and be right. But sin works its way through and it makes you a slave. 
but you were made for more and more even than you might imagine. And so God, in an unforgettable act, he didn't make a way simply to restore you to what you were before sin. Through his life, he made a way for you and I to live fully and forever. Because the blood of his son was enough to pay the debt that you owed. But this time, God didn't give you the reins. He said, follow me. Scripture said when Jesus died and he rose again, he now sits at the right hands of the Father. And you know what he does? He rules. When you and I surrender to Jesus Christ, it's not about regaining control of our life. That was forfeited the moment you sinned. It's about something better. It's about understanding what real life is and what you were made for. And if the death of Christ can set you free, how much more can the life of Christ plan and prepare you for from now into eternity? See, the work of Jesus is unforgettable. So don't forget, don't make it small, don't cheapen it. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, as we look at your word, as we walk through your story, God, it doesn't make sense. Lord, we, we would not find ourselves for the obscene and the nasty holding a conversation, much less offering our life up for them. But God, that's exactly what you gave your son to through his death on the cross. And it was right, and it was love. So Lord, I, I pray right now, if there's a man or woman in this room that doesn't know you, God, where they would stop trying to clean their life up. But instead, Lord, they might surrender to you. They know what surrender looks like, God, because that's what our life has been day in and day out. But let them surrender to you so they might know life. And Lord, if there is any man or woman in this room that knows you, God, but they haven't been living for tomorrow, they've just been thankful for yesterday, and that's caused a heavy burden on their walk and on their life, or it has caused their sunny days to become cloudy, for them to just hope for one day instead of letting every day build hope in them for you. Lord, would you allow them to, to find you? Would you allow them to just bend their knee, to call out? Lord, they might confess, you don't just save, you reign. We pray this 